I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP show. Before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by the 90 Day Mentoring Challenge. This will be the, well, depending when you're listening to it, the fifth or sixth year I'm going to be running the program to help turbocharge people uh, in their career in Microsoft Business Applications. If you want to be mentored in the next 90 Day Mentoring Challenge, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash mentoring. It is 100% free, apart from your time investment. Now, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from England. He works at Data8 currently as the chief technologist. He has been working on how to use Azure Flow or Power Automate and other uh, different apps to monitor diabetes. He's a director at Data8 for 14 years and works uh, at Sage prior to that, developing business accounting systems. When not working, he is at home with his two boys, spending time building Lego or shelves to hold the Lego. Check him out on Twitter, MarkMPN, or his blog, MarkCarrington.dev. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Mark. Did I get that all right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Although, uh, yeah, Lego has evolved into uh, Pokemon at the moment. So, yeah, everything is, um, yeah, it's getting beyond me now, I'm afraid. Is there Pokemon characters that they can collect, kids? Um, yeah, I think so. Although, yeah, I... They had me to start with, but then, yeah, it's expanded and it's just gone a bit crazy and uh, kind of leaving me behind now. So are they, are they playing the Pokemon app as well? Yeah, so at least we're getting out of the house a bit because, uh, yeah, it's um, through lockdown, it was very easy to just kind of stay at home and they got used to this idea that they stay at home all the time now. So, yeah, just trying to prize them away, you know, not get them entirely away from the screens, <laughs> go playing Pokemon Go, but at least we're getting them out of the house now. So. Funny you say that. I wonder what the impact in the years ahead on kids are going to be from this massive period of lockdown, whether they're going to trace anything to it or the impact. It's going to be, yeah, funding decades of research for psychologists, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, on how kids bonded with their parents more because they were at home or, or were driven yeah, crazy from it. Yeah, that way, goodness. <laughs> yeah. So what part of England are you in? Uh, I'm in Chester, up in the northwest. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's uh, uh, before lockdown, it was a, a ten minute commute into the office. Um, so yeah, that was lovely. Sort of yeah, you're not spending hours of your day commuting everywhere. Um, lovely historic town um, where I grew up. Uh, went away to work at Sage up in Newcastle, up in the northeast um, after university. Uh, came back here again um, after yeah we got uh, got fed up with that hour and a half commute every day gets a bit soul destroying um, so yeah came back here um, started the family uh, yeah we've been back here for I don't know fifteen years I think now and were you one of the founders at Data Eight? Uh, not quite I was I joined about a year and a half after they they founded it um, like I was. Uh, fourth employee there so yeah it's uh it was a, a bit of a 
bit of a change coming from a big sort of PLC environment from up at Sage. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. You sort of feel like you can you can go into work and really have an impact um, in a day. Um, more so over 14 years. Um, and yeah, I couldn't imagine um, swapping out to one of these sort of the, the big consultancies or something like that. It's, um, I think that would be too much of a cult- culture shock for me to go back to that now. So how many staff do you have at the moment? Um, I think we're on around um, 20 at the moment. Wow, it's a good size though. Yeah, so there's um, you know, a, a good size technical teams and sales, marketing, you know, it's a little bit, but we, we're, all, we're all very office-based and now being a bit more spread around the country now. Um, and people sort of moved around during lockdown, um, decided this homeworking thing is for them, sort of settled down in other bits of the country. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's still nice to be able to go back and see people, um, but yeah, a bit of a, a good sort of flexible mix at the moment. What's your take on the post-COVID world and the concept of where you work uh, for an employer, particularly, and I'm talking about in our industry where, um, you know, it generally involves a keyboard and a high amount of brain skill rather than necessary manual or physical labor, which of course does need to be done in person and, you know, a road worker can't choose to work from home type thing, right? And yeah. Um, so I think uh, um, I think it comes down to probably time zones more than actual location. Um, uh, we can do a lot individually behind the keyboard, but um, I think it, it really comes together as a team um, and you need to be able to communicate as a team. So, um, you know, if I was, um, if, if two of us were working together, then you know, we would have a few hours of day overlap um, to be able to sort of catch up on where we're at and um, do all that. And, um, you know, I'm sure we would get a lot done, but um, it wouldn't be the same as being able to just sort of call each other up whenever you, you know, you just, uh, you hit a bit of a stumbling block. Um, you just need to bounce some ideas off each other. Um, I think that's where the the team really starts to come together. Um, so yeah, I think the the remote working thing can work very well, but you do need to have somebody else, I think, to talk to because otherwise you'll go slightly insane. I, I was on a project in Hong Kong some years ago, and the the PM for the project was in London, and you know there was there was some time lap uh, overlap, and that's where you know, stand-ups and things like that were done. But what we found, it challenged people to, the minute they did come to a blocker, they would almost put it on a little mini backlog that would be bought up at the right time, but then would allow them to move forward on, with the next thing. Um, and I just wonder, is is even, you know, how we work and how we think about work um, going to change? Like, I find, should we be focusing more on our social lives outside of work rather than our social lives inside of work in the new world. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's because um, over the last sort of few weeks, we've been starting to drift back to the office a bit and just having that, you know, we've been seeing each other, um, you know, on, on Teams and everything every day anyway. But, yeah, just being able to, you know, they're on the next desk over, you can I can look around and say, oh, it looks a bit busy. I'm not going to interrupt him now. I'm going to not going to sort of disturb their flow. Um, 
or yeah, okay, we can have a little bit of a uh, bit of a chat, a little bit of banter. Um, and I think that makes a, a, a lot of difference, actually, being being physically in the same place as, as people. I think it helps that social aspect a lot more. Um, when you're distributed and virtual, you kind of you got to make more of an effort to do that. And it's easy for it to not happen. Um, so, yeah, I think we're benefiting from that. Yeah, we're, we're not full time back in the office, um, but yeah, having those opportunities on a, a regular basis, just I think that helps everyone out. Just kind of relax and you're in work, but actually it can make it less about work because you can have that informal chat that otherwise, you know, you're, you're calling someone on Teams and it's it's a very sort of demanding thing. You know, you, like you've got to come and talk to me now because I'm calling you on Teams. You've got to stop what you're doing. Whereas, you know, if you're just sort of hanging out in the office, you can you, you can have those chats that might just not happen otherwise, I think. What about, um, you know, yep, you, I, I get that bit the, that you miss. What about the what you gain? So, for example, zero commute time, potentially more time with family, um, you know, those t- those flip sides. Yeah, so I think a lot of people will get more out of that than I would. So you know, I was only 10-minute commute from the office anyway. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So that part of it doesn't make too much difference to me, but I know that it does make much more difference to some other people. Um, but yeah, just having that sort of, that nice environment around, you know, you can, uh, I can go and take some time away from the keyboard and just go for a walk around our little village here and you know, get into the countryside. Um, I'm very fortunate. I just live right on the edge of town. So it's just, you know, I can be you know, five minutes down the road and I'm in the middle of a field. Um, it's fantastic. Just sort of you need a little bit of a break and you can get away from it. Whereas, you know, I'm not on a business park. The, the, the only thing I can be doing is, you know, going for a little walk around a business park. It's not the nicest environment. Yeah. It reminds me of, what was it, uh, in the office, Slough, was it? The the business park they're in, which looked dreadful. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's all very nice where we work, but yeah, it is a little bit like that. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, I saw the EU is uh, talking about potentially uh, changing um, employment law, and I know this doesn't affect the UK so much anymore around returning to work because you know obviously businesses are continue to run and flourish in a um, non in person environment and. I'm seeing a heap of people saying that, you know, if their employer forced them to return to work, they'd be looking for a new job. Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of and, that so coming yeah. out of the US, certainly. Um, yeah. The, I wonder if there just needs to be flexibility rather than mandating rules of you must be here or you must do this, that you say, hey, what whatever works best for you. And I think that's Microsoft's attitude, right? They're taking the, hey, whatever works best with you and, and you know, negotiation with your uh, reporting line, do that. And I think uh, a softer line is better than a harder line, perhaps. Yeah, you know, as as an employer, um, I want what gets the best out of you. Um, and you know, if that's nine to five for you in the office, then fantastic. If you know if you're not going to be doing anything you know, before ten, eleven o'clock, but you're going to get the, everything done by the end of the day, why do I really care? Yeah. Yeah, I was reading another article that they were saying introverts have flourished through lockdown um, because, you know, they're not being forced into uncomfortable situations that they don't excel in uh, and they prefer, you know, 
Perhaps. Yeah, I can imagine uh, all that uh, stuff uh, I just said about, you know, these informal chats in the office. I thought that might well not be for you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about how you got into technology. How did you begin your journey there? Was it university? Was it before university? How, how did you get into tech? Um, I was kind of lucky as a child. My parents got, um, it was the, uh, the Sinclair ZX Spectrums. So this was back in the ZX81. I must have been... I don't know, seven, eight or something. We got that sort of uh, type of computer. We got some some of the magazines where it would have all the, the code printed out for a game and you would go and try and type it all in and be amazed. It's like, wow, I've, I made this computer do a thing. You know, I, I didn't buy it and it just worked. I, I made that. And I think that inspired me from there to just say, well, okay, I can make this do something. Um, so... That was always it for me, I think, from then on, that I'm in control of this. And I, I can make it do what I want it to do. And from there, that was my sort of creative outlet, I think. Um, so, yeah, doing that. So from there, sort of, yeah, then through high school, I would sort of put together these little sort of mock-up copies. I got into Delphi and, and VB and stuff like that. And I could do these these little apps that I'd pass around my friends on floppy disks to they, they would be sort of my own little copy of Microsoft Word. And I'd put these little logos on the disks. And, um, and then through university, I went, went and did um, software engineering at uh, university. Um, and while I was there, I then started doing some, some uh, shareware programs. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow. You're the first person I've heard say that. Yeah. So I actually started making some good money off those. I, my main one there was um, some newsgroup software. Um, so you could run your own newsgroup server off your Windows PC. Nice. Nice. Which, which was very important back then. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was kind of inspired by, you know, we had a, a, a class at university where we were having to um, pull some messages off newsgroups using some Perl software or something. And then it kind of twigged with me. It's like these magic things so often, you know, the internet, it wasn't called the cloud at that point, but it was basically the cloud. Um, these are all just using sort of standard things that I can go and write something to go and do, pull those messages off. And if I can do that side, I can do the server side as well. Um, and that sort of got me thinking about all the server side stuff that we can do. Um, and I think that's kind of a, a big thing for me is like sort of pull away the magic. So this isn't a magic thing. Computers have no magic behind them at all. It's just you might not know how they work, but if you can sort of pull aside the curtain a little bit and um, start uh, digging beneath the surface, and actually it's like, I can do something with that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And then you, you obviously landed your first job. Yeah, so straight out of university, I did the uh, I did the normal student rounds, sort of uh, going up and down the country trying to, to land that first job. So I remember sort of going off to to interviews with IBM, and um, I did an interview with GCHQ, which was kind of fun. Um, so our, uh, our intelligence agency. Yeah, wow! Wow! Is that is that the UK intelligence? Yeah, agency? so that's the the UK version of NSA. Yep. Yep. Um, so I started interviewing all the uh, friends and relations and people, but um, I ended up not ended up not going for that because that was a bit scary. So <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, what what would I be doing for you? I can't tell you. Yeah, okay, maybe that's not the best first job if I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. Um, so yeah, then I ended up um, 
from there at, at Sage, they did one of those sort of, um, yeah, they come around and do the sort of presentations to all the students um, and give you some free beers to get you to come along, that sort of thing. So yeah, I ended up there, which was, um, what, 20 miles away from the university after going around the whole country. Um, so yeah, I was there for five years, I think, out of university, um, doing lots of, yeah, sort of getting into the whole accountancy business software area. Um, quite interesting projects there, doing all their um, uh, reporting tools, um, sort of their own version of um, uh, SQL Server reporting services almost. So yeah, that, that was some sort of good, fun, like low-level programming in there. But yeah, then eventually the uh, the commute broke me. We, we were living in Durham and commuting to Newcastle every day, which is um, going up the motorway where there's always accidents every single day. Um, so eventually we decided yeah, we've either got to move to Newcastle or we move somewhere else. And um, we decided London wasn't for us. We weren't um, particularly interested in doing that whole thing of uh, getting a high-powered job in the city and all the, the pressure and more commuting and everything that goes with that so yeah ended up moving moving back home for a while while we uh, uh moving back in with my parents while we sorted out houses and all that um and uh yeah I, luckily sort of just the right time to be uh to be around when when data eight were looking for a, a new developer and say so, yeah, i think uh yeah they must have been about a year and a half old i remember um Anthony, our MD, were getting cakes in for their second anniversary, and uh, the four of us sat around. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's grown a lot from the sort of little units down by the port side that we used to have there. Um, and yeah, it's uh, incredible to think going from that to going off to all these international conferences around the whole microsoft power platform stack and sort of meeting all these great people like yourself around the world i think the first time i met you was in was it atlanta atlanta um no i didn't go to atlanta my first uh user group was um tampa 2016 no i thought i met you though in atlanta as an um yeah you were introduced to me i was doing a video with steve mordu on the conference floor, and I'm sure that um, you're introduced. That was the first time, which was the last um, BizApp Summit. Was it Orlando, Florida? Orlando, yeah. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that seems like a whole other world away, but it does, doesn't it? A very long time ago. It's crazy how things have changed. Tell me about getting an MVP. Um, wow. Well, yeah. So um, I think that kind of started. I I started doing. Um, uh some of the tools for the xrm toolbox um i think my first one of those was um for extra for fetch xml builder um jonas put out a call for somebody to help out with doing converting queries from fetch xml to the new uh web api format it's come out not too long before and I think actually I was on the, the train down to another CRM user group in London. And I thought, well, I've got some time to kill. I'll give it a go. And I think that, yeah, that was my first ever um, code contribution towards a, uh, one of the community tools. And it kind of it grew from there. 
um, I kind of, I seem to have been sucked into this little world of converting queries between one format and the other. So um, that was my my starting point from that. And then as we got more and more into um, doing projects around Dynamics at work, we've got all these people that were skilled up on SQL um, and could write complicated queries to, to get all the data out that they needed, but they didn't know fetch XML, they didn't know how to get data out in sort of efficient ways, in large scale ways out of these dynamic systems. And we were building all this custom stuff. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if they could write an SQL query and there would be some magic going on behind the scenes which converted that into something that Dynamics could understand um, and it would pull out all this data. And that's where it kind of started from, could I do that as an internal tool? And then I could see the potential of that and thought, right, I'm going to build this, get this into um, XRM toolbox and, you know, some other people might like it. And I released that probably actually that um, that Orlando conference um, 2019, I think, was about the time I was I was going to launch it. Um, and it just went crazy from there. Suddenly there's there was thousands of people using it after the first few weeks, just um, doing little queries on their data doing using it to make changes to their data and just finding it a, a, a helpful way to to get to their data without having to go through the you know let's try and do this through advanced find or build a fetch xml query and i kind of got hooked sort of yeah i, I thought it was just going to be one little tool I, I, there's no way i can support all this bits of the sql language because fetch xml can't support it all but i'll do this bit and then i'll stop there and then every time I thought I'm going to stop, it just kind of it just got in my head. It's like, oh, I'm sure it's possible to take it a little bit further and a little bit further. Um, and then, yeah, sort of that's gone from from just doing that to the the last release that um, I can't remember whether it was just before or just after um, I actually got the MVP award. Was um, yeah, just doing massive amount more sort of SQL compatibility. And that was my main thing, I think, was um, producing this tool and then the contributions to other tools around that uh, that XRM toolbox space. So this is SQL uh, uh, to SQL, uh, SQL for CDS. CDS? Yeah. Yeah, so 49,328 downloads. I think it's ranked number five of all the tools of all time, which is... Very impressive. It's crazy because, yeah, I, I thought it was going to be this little niche thing that... Sorry, number four, number four, yeah. I know, so I started tracking you know, how many queries people had done with it. And I thought, you know, it might be, I would be pleased with like a hundred a day or something. Yeah. And I think over the last 90 days, it's had over two million queries go through it. Um, and yeah, there's, there's people you know, doing little queries on their data, people doing wholesale um, you know, let's bang in hundreds of thousands of records through insert queries. Um, to be honest, there's possibly better tools for the job, but if that's what works for you, then that's great. Um, and yeah, I just use it as just a, a, a daily part of my workflow now to say I, I need to go and change a record. I need to go and find a record. I just find it quicker to use that than to just, I can have written the query and run the query by the time advanced find is opened these days. Incredible. You're probably going to move to number three position too, because Scott Durrow, who's currently in number two with his Riven Workbench, has he not announced the retirement of that? I think. Well, yeah. So yeah, with the whole um, the PowerFX commanding thing. So 
I think I, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I think there'll be a, a, a drift towards um, that, but um, yeah, I think there is certainly for the time being. There's there's holes that the new stuff can't do. I think that's always going to be the case that if these these older technologies have had so much time to mature, and there's there's so many little odds and ends that you can only but do I feel with that. That Scott's probably been involved with the development team in building the next thing. Yes, so it I wouldn't th- surprise if he's been on contract to Microsoft to to deliver this. Yes, yeah, so I believe there's there's something like that. So yeah, there's I think it's going to be um, it's obviously a, a big step forwards in making that more accessible because you know, I I remember before Ribbon Workbench, you know, you had to extract these zip files and you had to go and manually edit some XML and rezip it and then you import it and you get some error messages and you go back and do it again until it finally works. Um, so yeah, obviously there's a, a massive step forward. The fact that they never actually brought out any of their own tooling because Scott's was so good kind of, yeah, <laughs> that tells you something. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. The, uh, just how many tools are up there now, 262 tools make up the XRM toolbox. That's pretty phenomenal numbers. And yeah, there's, there's things in there that, um, Microsoft are never going to find the time to do all these little bits and pieces. Um, and the fact that the community does step up to, to do it, I think just tells you how much time willing people are willing to put into to doing all these things. And um, yeah, the, the amount of time it must save people. There's something about the exposure, something like that gives you to developing your skills, right? Because it is exposure and that uh, exposure in the scary sense and that you're putting your creation up for critical review right and feedback yes and not only that you i'm kind of worried you know somebody will run a, a crazy query against their prod database and that you know they've 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 write a delete query haven't checked it properly and suddenly they come knocking to say can you help us restore a backup um so um yeah there's, there's things that but yeah that having that one place to go for tooling at the xrm toolbox Rather than having, you know, you can imagine if that didn't exist, um, you know, everyone's got to write all that framework themselves, but also everyone's got to go off. There isn't one single place then to go and find all these tools. In the old days, it used to be CodePlex, right? Really before this. Yeah. So, although CodePlex has kind of become app source, a commercial app source, but CodePlex, I mean, that's where, you know, early in um, my career um, with my colleague Guyan Pereira, he was writing. Uh, uh, tools and putting it up there and that got us a bunch of new customers to start with um, in our early days of starting a practice this is like you know 15 odd years ago yeah I can imagine so yeah we, I, I still uh, occasionally the Google searches will lead me towards old Codeplex archives and um, but yeah at that point you're kind of relying on people doing a, a search and landing up on Codeplex and understanding how to use that Whereas now, so many people can just, yeah, they open up XRM Toolbox, they'll just do a search for a tool in there. So yeah, if you're published, publish your tool to that, um, then yeah, so many people can go and find that. And you know, hats off to, to Tangi for, for doing that and for doing the, you know, reviewing all these tools before they go in to make sure there's at least some basic level of quality to it, because yeah, that's a, that's an incredible undertaking. Awesome. Well, Mark, it's been good talking to you well over time. I um, always like to wrap up with a few random questions. Okay. What was the hardest decision you've ever had to make? Oh, um, 
I think it would have to be leaving Sage to go to day trade to take a jump from a, a multi-million pound stock market listed company to three people basically in a shed um, and believe that that's going to work out um, and yeah, travel across the country to, to go and do that. Awesome. Awesome. What's the biggest purchase you've ever made? Um, apart from a house, um, house and car. And apart from that, um, probably my son's last Lego set. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Uh, Harry Potter Diagon Alley set. Uh, it's wow. massive. Is it really? It's huge. I, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I had to basically remodel the living room to find somewhere to put it. Wow, I'm going to look it up. Um, final one, what's your guilty pleasure? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> is it boring to say sneaking off to do a bit more coding of an evening? <laughs> <laughs> I was sat here just before we started recording and I'm tweaking Fetch XML Builder some more. Wow. Awesome. Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I thank you very much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Business Application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 Guy. Please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to leave a review, go to podcast.nz365guy.com where you can see all the other reviews and quickly leave your own one. Anyhow, stay safe out there.